Welcome back to the 76 Capital Leadership Series. My name is Ty Jackson, and on today's episode, 76 Capital's managing partner, Wayne Kimmel, speaks to the chairman of the Connecticut Lottery, Rob Simulcare. Connecticut is launching legal sports betting as of October 7th, and the Connecticut Lottery has just announced an exciting new partnership around sports betting. Rob talks all about the future of sports betting in the state. Hope you enjoy. Nerd Street is a national network of esports facilities, content, and events dedicated to powering competitive opportunities for gamers. The company provides opportunities for gamers of all ages and skill levels to participate in esports tournaments, camps, private events, and more for a wide variety of video games. Learn more at nerdstreet.com. That's nerdstreet.com. Welcome to the 76 Capital Leadership Series. My name is Wayne Kimmel, and I'm your host, as well as the managing partner of 76 Capital. On this show, I interview top entrepreneurs, athletes, and executives who are truly shaping the sports industry and many times changing it and transforming it and just super excited to do all the things that we do. Before we get started, of course, I want to give a quick shout out to Ty and Vince back at the station who are making, all the, making it all happen, pushing all the right buttons. Great job, guys. And you can follow me on Twitter as well as all across social media at Wayne Kimmel. And please subscribe to our 76 Capital Leadership Series on YouTube as well as on all your favorite podcast networks. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're building a company in the sports industry and you truly are trying to do the next, next thing, whether that's in sports betting, in esports, in the media, or the sports tech world, please reach out to us at 76 Capital. We would love to talk with you. Now let's get to it. We have a great guest today. We have someone I've known for many years. Really excited to have him come on our show. His name is Rob Simulcare. Rob is the chairman of the board of the Connecticut State Lottery. He is also a former executive at NBC and was at ESPN as well, and is the CEO of Persona Media. Rob, welcome to our 76 Capital Leadership Series. Wayne, thank you so much. This is really fun. Um, love watching your your interviews. It's a great platform, so I'm really uh, honored to be a guest. Thank you. Well, we're so excited to have you because what you're doing in the state of Connecticut as the chairman of the Connecticut State Lottery, there are some incredible things that are happening within the state, and we'd love for you to share some of the things that you know are, are happening as we speak right now. Thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a really uh, busy year. So I first, um, the governor Lamont um, asked me to chair the board of the Connecticut Lottery back in May of 2020. And when when we first had that conversation, we were thinking ahead about the possibility of doing some things like you know trying to get sports betting legalized first and foremost, and some other you know sort of innovative things that could be done. The lottery has been around since 1971, so it's a it's you know old school lottery for the most part that generates hundreds of millions of dollars a year a year for the state. But we had a vision that you know as more and more states are legalizing sports betting that we could bring Connecticut in line with that. There were some big challenges to getting that done. First and foremost, um, conversations between the state and the two Indian tribes um, that run casinos in Connecticut, uh, the Mohegan tribe and the Mashantucket Pequot tribe, which runs Foxwoods, had been at an impasse for you know a couple of years, several years really since PASPA was overturned by the Supreme Court. And so there were really a lot of questions about whether 
some of the the, dis the differences could be bridged. You know, the, the tribes had taken the position that they had the exclusive right to run sports betting in the state, that no one else could really um, be involved. Otherwise, it would be a violation of the, the compact, their agreement with the state. The state had taken the position that they wanted to make more of an open market of it. So, you know, with the governor's support, uh, I, along with some others in his, in his administration, sat down, you know, late last year and then earlier this year to really start talking to the tribal leaders about a way forward. And, you know, fortunately, we were able to reach an agreement. And that that happened earlier this year. That led to, uh, you know, statute being created and um, ultimately passed and signed by Governor Lamont. And as we sit here now speaking in September, Wayne, we're, you know, just weeks away from sports betting launching in the state. So it's very exciting. Well, I want to get into all of the details. The, the I want to hear kind of how this all came about, maybe get into even more, you know, how, well, the overall process of, of how that it all came to be. I mean, as you describe, it's, it's not just so simple as, you know, just going to have sports betting in, in, in the state of Connecticut. You actually have, there's a lot of things that you had to deal with, including the, you know, the different tribes and the compacts and all the things that, that, that went into it. Rob, you know, on, on this note, you know, kind of, What's next? When you kind of look into your crystal ball as the chairman of the board of the Connecticut Lottery, what do you think this is in the next two to three years, what this industry is going to look like in, the, in your state? Well, there's no question that, um, you know, gaming is going to be a huge part of the sports industry. Um, it, it's, it, we're still in the bottom of the first inning as far as I'm concerned and seeing this play out. Um, I think you're going to see more and more investment into this. Um, both from the digital product side, from the retail side. And, I, you know, we're going to start in Connecticut with like some fairly bare bones retail. But, you know, where I think we're going is, you know, 15 amazing places where you can go and have a great time, not just, you know, watching sports and betting on sports, but, you know, making sports betting the anchor tenant around multifaceted entertainment opportunities, places where you can go for live music, for, you know, dancing, for, you know, all kinds of live entertainment, shopping, as well as a chance to, you know, place a bet on your favorite team. So I, I see sports betting from a development point of view in Connecticut as like an anchor tenant around more and more stuff that we build up, we'll build up around that. And then as far as the sports industry goes, Listen, we're seeing it. We're seeing more and more investment. We're seeing this is where the growth is. And more and more players are getting into this in different ways. I mean, who would have thought five years ago that you'd see sports books opening inside of arenas and stadiums, like the one that, that William Hill Caesars has in D.C. or what's going to be happening in Arizona or other spaces? I mean, this would have been like fantasy land five years ago to have betting in the stadium. And so you're going to continue to see that proliferate. Um, and you're going to continue to see, you know, this grow both digitally and in person. One thing I would say, Wayne, is as this does grow, you're also, I think, going to see more and more attention paid to the, the regulatory side of this to make sure that the pendulum doesn't swing too far to the other side. If you look at what's happened in, in Europe, in the UK, you know, you did get to a point where you know, the marketing of gambling was so intense. I mean, you know, it's on the half of the Premier League teams have sports books on the front of their jersey, right? And you, you've got like 
a, a tremendous amount of, of marketing and, and, and opportunities to bet. And at some point, the regulators in the UK, the regulators decided, you know what, we need to sort of bring this back a little bit. It had gone too far. So I think you'll see probably uh, uh, an ebb and flow in terms of the way this is regulated and you know the way people sort of see this from a safety and responsibility point of view but at the end of the day you know this is this this industry is going to continue to grow um over over the long term because there's still so much of the u.s population that isn't even eligible yet i mean california texas you know still new york still florida are not yet really up and running and these are some huge states um so it's it's it there's a, just a tremendous amount of runway in front of us you had this all of this experience you talk about you know fantasy land of the fact that you would have a sports book inside of a, a venue, um, whether it's in a stadium or an arena. I would also probably argue it's sort of fantasy land that your former um, employers, whether that's the ESPNs, ABCs, NBCs, are partners now with sports books. Yes. How, how shocking for you as someone who's been in the industry, in the media industry all of these years to now have like wow, they're actually putting lines on TV that they're they're partners with with the different books. That must be uh, incredible. You know, it is. But you know, it was clear that it was going to happen from the day of PASPA. In fact, before PASPA, I mean, probably about a year before PASPA, before that decision came down, I started working at NBC on a strategy as to how that company would play in that space, and we looked at everything from creating our own sports book to more of a sky bet model where we would or, or what fox bet ended up being where we would sort of lend our brand to a sports book to you know just creating assets that sports books would end up buying as advertisers and you know those things were all contemplated and we're, we've seen media companies pretty much run that full gamut right from you know just taking ad dollars to what fox bet did to you know, what a company like ESPN's already done with partnerships with DraftKings and Caesars. So you're seeing the full gamut. I think you're gonna see more media companies you know, go from having a foot in that water to diving in head first and being in the operating side of things. You saw what Sports Illustrated did, you know, a legacy media brand and their, their deal with 888. So I think every sports media brand is looking at this as a growth opportunity. And the playbook was already there to a degree from the explosion of daily fantasy sports that we saw when FanDuel and DraftKings first came on the scene. You saw how many dollars were there for the advertising departments of these media companies to, to, to tap into. And so that playbook was already there and they're really just running that playbook, I think, but in a much more comprehensive way because the dollars are much, much bigger. Absolutely. And look, I just remember all of our conversations when you were back at NBC with, with our good friend, you know, Brian Musburger at, at VEASAN. And, you know, now VEASAN is, was you know, subsequently acquired by DraftKings and, and now that partnership and all the things that DraftKings is now doing. It's just amazing, you know, to see where, where things are going. It is. It is. Congrats to you and Brian on that, by the way. That was a great outcome, I'm sure. And I, I know it's been, I know it's exciting to have VEASAN as part of the the DraftKings world. I'd love to hear a little bit about Rob. I mean, first, everyone who's out there listening or watching the show, you can follow Rob at Rob Simulcare uh, on Twitter. And, and, and just Rob, if you can spell it, yeah, <laughs> make sure you take a screenshot. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, anyone can, you know, find our Seventies Capital Leadership Series. They can easily find, you know, find Rob. But you, you know, it's really important. You know, this is someone that I, I recommend you, you you keep an eye on. And certainly, Rob, you know, if you share some of your background, you've done some incredible things in the sports industry, in the media industry, and now as the chairman of the Connecticut Lottery. Where did you grow up, and how did it all start for you? Um, thanks for asking. Um, so I'm, I'm really a New Yorker um, by birth. I, I was born in, in New York City. I grew up in sort of a mix between northern New Jersey and New York City. Um, graduated high school in the city, you know, went on to college at Dartmouth, uh, went to law school, Harvard Law School. And then, um, you know, before I ever went to law school, I had an early interest in sports and sports media. I played baseball growing up. Um, you know, was very involved in sort of sports media and broadcasting when I was in college. I had internships at ABC Sports and CBS Sports. So there was sort of like my driving passion was sports and media from a young age. And, you know, when I, when I was practicing law, I still wanted to get back into that world. And a guy who I'd worked for when I was at CBS Sports, who a lot of people in the industry know, a guy named Len DeLuca, um, he was then a senior executive at ESPN. And he hired me at ESPN back in 2002, to, um, which is dating me a little bit, to be the sort of director of programming for the NBA. They had just acquired the rights to the NBA. And so I was my first real job in sports was a great job. I was basically in charge of the NBA on ESPN for a couple of years as it launched. And that was really an incredible experience. I got to work really closely, not just with an, a number of great people at ESPN, but also people at the NBA, like, you know, the late, great David Stern, Adam Silver, who's still a friend, and many others there. Um, so it was an amazing introduction to the industry. From there, I ended up doing a number of things at ESPN, international business development. I was George Bodenheimer's sort of chief of staff for several years, who, of course, was the great leader of that organization for a couple of decades. Learned at the you know, foot of the master, as I like to say, working with George for a couple of years. Um, and then I uh, you know, also did a little work at ABC News. Wayne, one thing that people may know about me, and it surprises them sometimes, is I occasionally pop up on the air, not just being interviewed on shows like this, but I did a fair amount of on-air work both at ESPN and ABC News during my time there. And then when I went over to NBC Sports in 2011, that was kind of part of the deal. I, I, I ran a part of NBC Sports called NBC Sports Ventures, which was a new business development and sort of, you know, startup investment arm of NBC Sports. But I also did some on-air stuff. I covered three Olympics for NBC. I, I did a number of things. So that, that may, has made my path pretty unusual um, and, and, and great. And so um, I left NBC Sports in 2019 to start Persona. Well, before we get into Persona, I got to ask you, Robin, and, and, and I, you know, you've had this opportunity at ESPN, ABC, NBC, and, and doing all these on-air, you know, um, an opportunity to really cover some incredible events. What are some of your top memories um, that, you've, that you've had, you know, from in covering these, all the things that you did on, from a sports perspective? Um, for me, I would say from the on-air point of view, there's definitely nothing like being involved with an Olympics. Um, the, the excitement that comes with that, the, 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 the teamwork that goes into producing an Olympics and putting an Olympics on is unparalleled. Uh, the, the people, uh, my former colleagues at NBC Sports, you know, it's like, a, I, I compare it to like a, a military operation, how much goes into producing an Olympics at the level they do. and so. Just being a part of that, a small part of that, 
I hosted the MSNBC coverage, anchored it for a couple of Olympics in 2012 and 2016, um, and also did Winter Olympics in, in Pyeongchang 2018, 2018. So just being a small part of that, I think, was incredible. It was awe-inspiring, um, both from the athlete, the athletic side of it, as well as the as well as the just the, the production side and the business side of it. You know, the, the other things that stand out for me, Wayne, are you know somewhat more um, difficult to talk about. I mean, I, when I was at ABC News, I covered some pretty intense events. Actually, um, the, the news business is very different. I I loved it, but it's very intense. I covered you know uh, some some really horrible things that happened: the school shooting. Um, at Virginia Tech and another one in Pennsylvania, not far from you, Lancaster County, um, in person, you know, and doing interviews of people who lost loved ones and children. So, you know, I, I did some things that have left a, a real mark on me in terms of, you know, some of the tragedy that I've seen through that. But, you know, that's one of the things that's great about sports is that it, it gives everyone a chance to come together to, you know, experience something that's dramatic, but also uplifting and fun. And so I've, I've really enjoyed doing that. Well, it's really exciting to have Rob Simulcare, the chairman of the board of chairman of the board of the Connecticut Lottery, on our Seventy-six Capital Leadership Series. And Rob, I think I want, one of the things I want to do, and I'd love to tie together what you just described as, you know, how hard it is to put on a great production of a whether it's the Olympics or just any sort of live uh, sports event to what is happening at the. You know, in, in Connecticut with sports betting in general, I mean, there's like you said, I mean, there's so many pieces that need to come together. And that's so maybe we talk a little bit about like you're the past of like what it was like to put together from a business perspective, from the actual all the trucks and all the lines and all the stuff that you need to do to run a major production. But in a way, you know, it seems to me like that's kind of set you up to be able to handle all of the things that are now happening that you got to deal with as the chairman of the, of the Connecticut lottery. Well, you know, I've, I've definitely, you know, and I think this experience has been uh, really unparalleled for me in terms of taking a complex situation, working with a team and coming up with a solution. And, you know, every state is a little bit different, right? I mean, New Jersey, which was of course the first state um, after PASPA was overturned to legalize, they already had a framework in place for how they were going to do sports betting. They had a, a, a well-established, vibrant gaming economy, lots of operators, both from the sort of horse racing side as well as lots of casinos with Atlantic City and all of that. So they were already sort of well-positioned, had a plan, were ready to turn it on. And of course, they did so very quickly after PASPO was overturned. Every state's a bit different. And Connecticut, you know, Connecticut's been in the, you know in gaming since the lottery was created in 1971, but it was in the early 90s when the the two tribes you know got the federal recognition and went into the agreement, the compact with the state to open those casinos, Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun, which by the way are two of the most profitable casinos in the world. And so it was complicated after PASPA because they felt that those agreements with the state automatically gave them the exclusive right to operate sports betting as a so-called casino game. Um, there's a classification in the federal law that you know refers to you know class three casino games, and they felt that the sports betting was just theirs and, and nobody else should have it. Um, there were others who wanted to be more like New Jersey and have lots of different operators coming in, and therefore you know there's a, certainly a feeling that the more operators you have, the more 
the market will be developed and the more money the state can make. So we had to sort of find a compromise there. And frankly, Wayne, the pandemic probably had as much to do with getting it done as anything because the pandemic really created some acute needs on both the sides of the tribes and the state. Uh, you know, the tribes had to shut down their casinos, you know, during during 2020, during the you know second quarter of, of 2020 in particular, and that cost them you know millions of dollars in revenue. It cost them jobs. Uh, it's a part of the state, southeastern Connecticut, that relies pretty heavily on those casino jobs. So it was it was a big blow, and they needed something. They needed to get this done, and you know the state needed some some revenue too. So it created a pathway, as far as I was concerned, to give something that would get them to the table and also something that would be good for the state. And so the way the deal ended up working, Wayne, is we, um, the state essentially gave out only three licenses to operate in the state of Connecticut. The tribes got two, lottery has the third for sports betting. Um, the tribes, in addition to licenses to operate online sports betting around the state, also got the only two licenses to operate online casino games. So they're going to be able to um, operate online, you know, blackjack and poker and online games of that nature. Lottery got the right also to operate online sales of lottery tickets. So we'll be selling Powerball and Mega Millions and you know Kino and things like that online as well. So it was a, it was a compromise that was reached. There were some other elements that we had to agree to. Lottery got the right to create 15 retail locations around the state of Connecticut. So we'll be launching those in the, in the coming months or weeks, actually. But we had to stay outside of a 25-mile radius of the tribal casinos. So they sort of got that area to themselves. So there were, there were all kinds of compromises that went into it. I worked very closely with a guy named David Lehman, who uh, was a, a, the head of economic development for the state of Connecticut, a tremendous guy, former Goldman Sachs banker. And he and I worked very closely together on getting that deal done with the tribe. So it was really... To me, it was like an exercise in negotiating and sort of what are your must-haves versus what are the things you want to have. And, I, you know, it, it, was a, it was just really a great experience being able to reach that agreement. Well, it certainly sounds like it was an amazing, you know, having to bring so many different groups together. Again, as you said, compromise, try to figure it all out. In the end, the I think it was, was it Foxwoods and Mohegan? They're the, they're the two... Um, the, the casinos that got the um, the licenses, and, and um, my understanding is that DraftKings is with Foxwoods, and FanDuel is with Mohegan, and Correct. then it, that's right. Okay, and then how? How? So then you did you you had you picked an operator as well? Yeah. So you know one of the things that's interesting about lotteries being in this space, and you've seen it in other states, and lotteries have had I would call it mixed success. Uh, in terms of their sports betting track record so far, is it's a little bit different when you're a state entity and the lottery is what's called actually, in Connecticut, our lottery is a quasi-public entity or corporation. So it is, a, it, is, it, is, it is a public entity in that its profits all go to the state, but we also have our own board, obviously, that I chair, and we have the ability to act a little bit more like a private company. But we still had to go through sort of traditional RFP process. And, you know, the tribal casinos were able to operate more like businesses would, and they just sort of did their deals. And in fact, DraftKings deal with Foxwoods was done 
couple of years ago, um, before we were even close to having sports betting legalized. So they were able to get a pretty good head start in terms of creating that partnership and forming that. FanDuel and Mohegan had a, a, a partnership as well that related to fantasy games. So, you know, there was already a track record. We started an RFP process in really in April of 2021, once there was a clear line of sight to getting this law passed. And we had to sort of open it up to all comers, you know, get proposals in, evaluate the proposals. We didn't take a pure lowest bidder approach in the way we did it. We, we were able to take some other things into consideration, Wayne. One of the key factors for us was the, the legislation, which was affected by the deal with the tribes, said that the lottery could not choose an operator that used a casino brand as its leading brand. So we could not choose in our RFP process, you know, BetMGM, for instance, because that's a casino brand. We could not choose Caesars, um, even though they were William Hill at the time, we, you know, they had been acquired by Caesars, so we knew they'd be going to the Caesars brand or Bally's or any of the other sort of casino front-facing brands. We had to choose an entity that had a non-casino brand that we could work with. So um, going through that process, we ended up doing a deal with a company that, you know, folks in the, in the industry know, they're, they're not as well known as DraftKings and FanDuel, Rush Street Interactive, um, which is based in Chicago. Um, I've gotten to know their team really well. They're terrific. Richard Schwartz, their CEO, is a tremendous guy. Rob Picard, others on that team. They operate a couple of brands right now. One is um, Bet Rivers, which is a casino brand around the Rivers casinos. Another is Play Sugar House, which is the brand that we will launch with. You would know, Wayne, from being a Philadelphia guy, that Sugar House was a casino in Philly, but it's been since rebranded Rivers. And so that Sugar House brand now qualifies as a non-casino brand. And so we're going to be launching with that brand. But I will say, and I can't say too much about this right now, we expect in a year from now, we'll probably be operating under another brand that I think will be a tremendous brand, but can't say anything about it yet because it's still confidential. Well, you'll have to come back on the show and break that with us. I tell you what, I'd love to because the story, if, if it all comes to fruition, there are, there's a great story around what's happening and some of the brand stuff that's happening with RSI potentially, um, but, but can't say much about it now, but would love to come back and talk about it more. U.S. Integrity is a technology and data-driven analytics company monitoring for match-fixing, game manipulation, and other unethical or illegal betting-related irregularities. U.S. Integrity's mission is to help grow the legal, regulated sports betting market by providing solutions that ensure sports betting integrity in every play, every game, and every sport. Well, it's certainly exciting to, to hear, you know, how you are launching in the next couple of weeks um, across the state. I mean, I think it's 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 exciting. You and New Jersey are sort of like boxing in, um, you know, New York until it kind of it happens. But I mean, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, your proximity to New York and, um, you know, there, it's, it's probably going to be, you know, from just from my perspective, a really, you know, successful and profitable venture for the state of Connecticut. Yeah, we anticipate it's going to generate hundreds of millions of dollars for the state. Um, you know, our, our minimum guarantee from Rush Street, RSI, is in the hundreds of millions, but we expect to do much more than that. So we think it will do really well. We think it's really important for 
the state to be in this space. I mean, you know, we don't, you know, we didn't want to be surrounded by other states, you know, that were doing legal sports betting. Obviously, New Jersey is already doing it. New York is in the process of legalizing mobile. Rhode Island is already legal. Massachusetts is is on is apparently on the way to doing it. So we felt that it made sense. You know, we're very cognizant, of course, Wayne, of you know some of the responsibilities that come with operating gaming in a state. You know, we've got to be mindful of responsible gaming, of gambling addiction, and you know the impact that that has. Um, you know, we already have gaming in the state, so we already have an established set of um, constituents from the Department of Mental Health to the Council on Problem Gaming, Connecticut Council on Problem Gambling. So they're already set up. Their, their funding is going to increase dramatically uh, by virtue of this new expanded gaming legislation. So they'll have more resources available to help people who need help. And, you know, I think bringing more of this online and out of sort of the shadows of illegal bookmakers or offshore you know bookies um, and also frankly bringing more of the lottery business which is currently a 1.5 billion dollar a year cash business in connecticut and bringing more of that online will give us more tools to identify problem gamblers to give people a chance to self-exclude themselves from playing if they feel they need to to you know identify patterns of problem gambling and and give people resources where they need it well, well, certainly, you know, we're in lockstep there around the bet responsibly side of things. I mean, we um, at 76 Capital became the first investment uh, partner with the American Gaming Association on their have a game plan, um, you know, initiative to really make sure that everyone is is out there betting responsibly. And, it's a, and I'm happy to hear it's something that's very important to you as well. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's it's been ingrained in what Lottery has done for nearly 50 years. But I do think some of these innovations really create opportunities to do better in that regard. Um, you know, RSI also has a really well-established track record of responsible gaming. Our, our regulations in the state of Connecticut, which were just approved recently, also have a real focus on that. But it's it's something that we have to think about every day. Absolutely. I mean, so you mentioned earlier, Rob, about how there's going to be different ways that, as a someone that is in the state of Connecticut, how they're going to be able to, to bet on sports. There'll be lo physical locations, there'll be the apps. Um, I noticed that one of the physical lo locations was going to be in the XL Center. I believe that's where the Connecticut Huskies play. How is that all going to work out? So we're going to launch with 10 retail locations around the state. Um, we have the right under the statute to have as many as 15. Um, and so our, at, at, at or around launch, it'll be 10 or 11, actually, because we'll add Bridgeport as well. Um, we'll have 11 at start. Um, the, the, the ones in the, the, the closest to New York City, for those in that area, will be in Stamford, Connecticut. The Bobby V's, which a lot of people know in Stamford, it's a popular spot in downtown Stamford, will be one of our marquee locations in, in Fairfield County. Um, we'll have a location in Bridgeport, which hasn't been announced yet. As launch rolls out, we're going to have more locations. We're going to have one in Norwalk, Connecticut, which is really just going to be an OTB location that will have this additional betting ability. Um, the Sports Haven, which is a big uh, location in New Haven, right off of 95 and 91, will be a, another location. Um, we'll have the Bobby V's at Bradley Airport, um, really right across the street from the terminal in Windsor, Connecticut, will be another one. Um, and then there'll be one uh, at uh, the, the OTB, the winner's location in Hartford, in South Hartford. 
So the XL Center, which you mentioned, is the sort of downtown arena in Hartford where the Yukon Huskies do play some games. They play most of their games in, on campus in stores, but both the men and women do play some games. There's also minor league hockey and some other events there. Th that's a location where the Hartford Whalers used to play back in the day. So there's a lot of history there. And we're in discussions with the government authority that runs that, that location to create a pretty high-end sort of, you know, sports book experience there as part of a larger redevelopment of that location. That will not be uh, up and running at launch. That's probably more of a 2022 initiative. Um, my hope is to have that up and running by the launch of NFL season in 2022, but there's still some work to be done on that. But it, before that, there'll be, you know, whether it's up at Bradley International or the Winners facility in, near the Brainerd Airport in, in, in Hartford will both be available as places that people can go and place bets in retail. So yes, those retail locations, Wayne, are really important because a lot of people, you know, they wanna go bet and have an experience, you know, hang out, you know, have a beer and some food with friends and watch the games. A lot of people would prefer to bet in cash, right? Which I think is in a lot of ways is a healthy decision not to put, you know, betting on your, you know, your card or whatever it is, getting involved with, you know, connecting it right to your bank account. So a lot of people prefer to bet with cash for different reasons. And these locations, not only will they be places you can go place a bet, but they'll also be places you can fund your online account. So, you know, you want to put, you want to use cash to fund your online app account. You can go in and give, you know, a teller there a hundred bucks. And now that's available for you to bet using the online platform. So they'll be, they'll be really important. I think we're going to be an important distinction from what the tribal casinos will offer, which will be retail locations at their casinos at Foxwoods and, 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 and also at Mohegan Sun, as well as the apps that FanDuel and DraftKings will bring to the market. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, like you, let's use Bobby V's as an example, right? You just mentioned a teller. So it's going to, you're going to have that full experience. It won't, it'll be more than um, kiosks in, in these locations. Yes. Yes. We'll have both kiosks and humans uh, in all those locations where you can, you know, place your bet with a, with a human teller. There'll be at least one at every location during operating hours. And, you know, we think that's important. Um, it's a new market developing market for a lot of folks who are new to, sports betting, you know, they may have questions about, you know, what does this mean when it says minus 110 or, you know, how do you create a parlay or things like that. So we want to give people the, the ability to ask questions and learn a little bit. But, you know, the kiosks that, that are coming in are really terrific. We've got 54 that will be arriving in the state any day now. We'll be distributing those around our locations, the Bobby V's, the New Haven location. But we'll be at hundreds of those kiosks by the time that we, you know, are, are really fully up and running. You, you mentioned, um, you know, we talked about betting responsibly and how important that is. What about the, from an integrity perspective? I mean, you, you, you have, you know, as the, as the chair of the, of the board of the Connecticut Lottery, I mean, you got to worry about the overall integrity of the games themselves and how that all plays out. Um, are there any specific um, uh, things that you, you're, you uh, are going to be looking for or are there any situations where th that are in this certain legislation that you have to do from an integrity perspective? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Connecticut is in a, a little bit of a, a somewhat different situation in some ways, just in the fact that we don't have any professional sports teams in the state at this point. So pretty much all the betting that takes place is going to be on stuff happening outside of the state. 
Um, there was one, there was a bit of a debate during the legislative process about how things would work with UConn. UConn obviously is a, you know, big time, particularly college basketball, you know, men's and more so women's college basketball powerhouse. And the decision was taken not to allow any betting on individual UConn games, whether those games are home or away. You will not be able to place a bet on an individual UConn game. You will be able to place proposition bets on UConn. So you can place a bet at the beginning of the NCAA tournament, whether they're going to win the whole tournament or not. That was considered a safer play than individual, you know, point spread type betting on games. So that was one integrity thing that was taken into account in the legislation. Um, as far as the larger integrity piece, you know, this is really a national issue now. And, and the, the leagues are, of course, working very closely with the overall industry. Um, I know the industry has banded together to, you know, create integrity monitoring solutions to um, identify unusual gaming behavior, unusual betting activity, whether it's on big events like NFL games or smaller events like, you know, challenger tennis events that are happening, you know, somewhere in the world. And, you know, maybe there's unusual betting activity on a particular player and then something happens. So I know that th that's an industry-wide issue. And, you know, we know that our partners at, at RSI, Rush Street Interactive, are synced in with all of that, um, are, 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 are a part of all of the, the sort of industry-wide cooperation that is necessary to pick up on that. And we're, we're primarily really, we're, we're relying on them to, to make sure that we're covered there. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the things I did want to touch on were certain things that you can and you can't do. Like there were others, are there some new types of potential prop bets or in-game or in-play type betting that you could potentially do in Connecticut as compared to other states and some things that you can't do? And, and hearing about the, the Connecticut piece is, is interesting. Are there some other things you can touch on? You know, I think we'll look pretty similar to a lot of other states in the markets that we offer. Um, we'll definitely have pregame and in-game betting um, across um, all the major well-known sports, as well as some some less well-known sports like table tennis, you know, which became a really hot market during the pandemic. Um, so we'll we'll have, you know, pretty much everything that you could think of as a normal um, you know, market to bet on will be offered in Connecticut. Um, one area that, that is talked about a lot, and Wayne, I know that it's an area of interest for you in your investing activity is esports. And, you know, we've, we've, we've looked at esports, we've talked about esports a little bit. Esports is not going to be available at launch in Connecticut from a betting point of view. Uh, I think that's probably a good thing, at least for now. Um, I, I, I'm really anxious to see how esports develops, how the, the betting markets around that develop. But it, it has been my opinion to this date, I'm curious if you, if you have another opinion on it, that it's just not quite ready for that yet. That the, you know, you know, maybe at the sort of on the biggest stages, you know, League of Legends, World Championships, where there's like a lot of money on the line and these athletes are well compensated and, you know, all of that, maybe it's a little bit safer there, but you know, a, a lot of the more minor competitions, which most of esports, you know, still is, I, I'm still a little not quite ready to embrace it there. But I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing in that space. 
Well, Rob, you're such a pro. I mean, you anticipated my next question around esports, <laughs> and I and I completely, you know, agree. You can with tell you. I'm used to being the interviewer as much as I am being the interviewee. So I'll turn the tables on you once or twice. <laughs> Not a problem. I love it. I mean, again, it's really great having you on our show. I mean, you, as the chairman of the board of the Connecticut Lottery, you know, a former NBC, ABC, ESPN exec, and 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 you know, on-air personality, uh, and now, you know, CEO of Persona as, as well. And I'd love to get into that a little bit now and, you know, hear, you know, kind of what you're building with Persona and what some of the things that you're doing there, um, you know, and, and how, you know, all of your experience is, is helping you, you know, build this, this next generation company. Well, thank you. Um, so I'll talk a bit about Persona. You know, the, the idea for Persona really came from, my experience doing what you and I are doing right now, but sitting in your chair of being the interviewer. And you know what I love most about being on the air was always having these conversations, getting people to talk about um, their themselves, about you know what they knew well, sometimes challenging them, you know, asking hard questions. I, I've always thought that the interview format is, you know, to me like the most fundamental form of both journalism and also just learning and exchange of ideas. It's how humans really since like the time of Aristotle, right, have, have exchanged information, you know, Plato and like the dialogues, right, asking questions, getting answers. It's just a fundamental human behavior. And I really wanted to try to create a platform that was centered around question and answer conversations. Um, where the, the sort of spiritual root of it is for me and, and where you know, I think the focus will be going forward for that business persona is in two areas. Number one, you know, the family side of things. So I, the idea for it really came to me when a, a cousin of mine found an old photograph of my grandfather, who's been deceased since the year 2000. And it was a photograph of him as, as a young man. And I, I never had seen him like as a 20 something year old young man dressed up, sort of about to get married. And I thought, wow, I really wish that I could hear him, you know, hear his voice and hear what he was thinking, what he was saying at that time. And I, I realized that what I really wish I had done was interviewed him when he was alive, that I, you know, I had these interview skills that I hadn't even used on like my own family. And so I actually started doing interviews of my dad and my mom. And even when I had kids, I'd try to interview my kids once in a while it's hard to get them to answer questions sometimes, but ask them, you know, even little things like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up or who's your best friend or, you know, you know, just little questions like that for to have a sort of snapshot of them at different ages. And I'd go back and look at these interviews, you know, a year later, two years later, and I realized like how special these things were, you know? And so I realized that like, this is something that everyone should do. And I wanted to try to create a set of tools to help people do that. And so right now we have an app that gives you some help with that. We also are increasingly really doing customized interview creation for people who want to create this content but don't know how. Um, you know, we have people who will actually help you, you know, do an interview of your parents, or your grandparents, or your kids, and you know, ask the questions for you, create the video content for you in a format very similar to this. Um, and, and then for us, the real challenge is productizing that in a way that is scalable, right? And that allows people to do it themselves. So we do it for families where we also have some businesses that want to have their, their, you know, their CEO or their, their financial advisors, and they want to be interviewed by someone credible to talk about, you know, what they offer to clients or customers. 
in a format that really helps them connect with people. So we offer that too. And you know, it's, it's listen, Wayne, you know, startups are hard. Um, and so it's, it's a journey. The focus, you know, has certainly um, evolved over time and it's, it's, it will probably continue to evolve as, as long as we're at it, but it's, it certainly has been a challenge and something that I've, I've enjoyed doing um, because it's, it's, I have a lot of respect for people who have taken a swing at this. Well, I, I certainly wish you a lot of luck with Persona, and I love what you're doing. I mean, it's it's actually something that I wish that I I did with my own dad. Um, had the op- had that opportunity to uh, interview him, and I wish I could talk to him now. Um, it's it's one of those things. I, I completely I, I hear you, um, and in in that you know in in that sense, it's it's something that's it's amazing. And I think that one of the things that you know also is so fascinating right now. And many people um, who are probably watching or listening to the show know the fact that, you know, I really believe that, you know, we are seeing an incredible change and transformation of the overall sports industry right now and how sports betting and esports and just new technologies and data and analytics that are being used in the sports business were really is really changing the overall industry. And this is a time where I could see you and Persona and others really getting in and talking to the, you know, I mean, in many cases, interviewing yourself, Rob, and right, I mean, how this, you know, Connecticut got into this industry, what kind of what's next in, within this industry, you know, and so many people who work so hard to get it to where it is today, but we're still so early. Rob, it's been great having you as a guest on our show on our 76 Capital Leadership Series. Now, make sure you will go out there and you follow Rob at Rob Similcare on Twitter. It's someone that you should be following. Again, it was amazing having the chairman of the board of the Connecticut Lottery on our show. And of course, remember, if you're an athlete, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business person who wants to work in the sports industry or build a company, you know, whether that's around sports betting, esports, the media industry, please reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you and see if there are ways that we can help each other. So once again, I'm Wayne Kimmel. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of the 76 Capital Leadership Series. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Wayne, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, of course, you just got to go out there and just make it happen. That's what it's all about. Have a great day, everybody. Forte is the fitness industry's only premium turnkey live and on-demand streaming white label digital solution. Forte powers many of the largest brands in fitness globally, from the NFL Players Association to Good Life Fitness, the YMCA, Under Armour World Headquarters Gym, The Edge, and more. If you know a great fitness brand or sports league looking to create an interactive digital experience for their members, please have them visit www.goforte.fit or reach out directly at partnerships at forte.fit. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of the 76 Capital Leadership Series with Wayne Kimmel speaking to the chairman of the Connecticut Lottery, Rob Simulcare. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Looking forward to having you here again next week.